The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Brand new series here, Born Again to a Living Hope. Uh, I feel a little bit out of sorts, and I'll just go ahead and just confess that to you. I've been in California all week long uh, for a conference, and so I've come back, and uh, I think I'm still on uh, Pacific Coast time, okay? So... For me, this is, what is it now, about, about 11 o'clock? So for me, it is, what, 8 o'clock in the morning or so is the way it feels. And so uh, I need an extra cup of coffee uh, right now, but, um, but we're going to, with the Lord's help, get uh, work our way through this passage. We're going to enter into this book, and I just want you to know that, uh, obviously, from the title of the book, uh, Peter is the author. And uh, Peter was, uh, was a disciple of Jesus. We know this. He was the disciple who was constantly putting his own foot in his mouth. Uh, he was constantly speaking up when, when it would get just a little bit silent. Peter just felt the need to say something, and, and it cost him some embarrassment a lot of times. But Peter is a testimony of the grace of God, that God can take anybody, uh, the worst of all, uh, the most embarrassing of all, the, the one with the, the least amount of potential, and God takes that person and by his grace transforms them to a trophy of his grace. And so Peter is, is the author of this book. He is not only a, a disciple of Jesus, but he is, by his own uh, um, title here, he's, he's an apostle, which means he is one who had seen visibly with his own eyes the risen Jesus Christ in bodily form, and also he had been specifically, specially commissioned by Jesus to go and to preach the gospel. And so he is an apostle, which means that this book that we're going to study over the next few months uh, is coming to us not just as the opinions of some or, or not just as the musings of Peter, but they are coming as the very word of God. And therefore, they are worthy of our attention and of our obedience, that we would believe these and we would practice what is, what is called for in this, uh, this letter. Um, he, he, Peter here is writing to the churches throughout the Roman province known as Asia Minor, which is now today modern-day Turkey. You're going to hear that in just a minute. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And Peter here, this is where I want to concentrate today before I read the passage. Peter identifies his audience, his recipients of this letter, all these churches that are spread out all through this, this territory. He identifies them as elect exiles. This title seems a bit oxymoronic. It's like saying jumbo shrimp or open secret or liquid gas or original copies or seriously funny. It's taking two words that typically would not belong together because they have very different meanings and putting them together. He calls them elect exiles. And we're going to dive into this and, and, and press in a little bit further. But uh, let me just tell you, I, I got a little bit of an experience of living in an elect exile status uh, on the plane ride home yesterday. Now, I don't want to make light of what Peter is trying to, to write here, and he's trying to point out to us, but uh, let me, just amuse me, if you will. Yesterday, flying back from Los Angeles, uh, I, I sat, Len and I sat in economy, which, you know, is, is fine and, and, and typical, um, but I'm 6'4", and, uh, and different airlines, economy means different things. And different rows have different dimensions. Well, I sat by the window uh, in economy uh, with my knees theoretically where my hips should be, uh, is, is the way it felt for five hours riding back from Los Angeles. Not only that, but the, the gentleman in the seat in front of me, who was my neighbor to the north, 
uh, decided that he had to shift in his seat every five minutes with the force of a linebacker. Uh, he felt like he had to recline his seat and, and adjust constantly. Uh, the, the flight attendant came by and she brought a little bit of hope to me and she came by and she said, would you like something to drink? And I said, sure, I'll have a Sprite. And so she gave me a Sprite in a cup the size of a Dixie cup. Um, and by the time I could get to it, it was watered down because the ice had, had melted. Uh, it was probably a blessing, though, that I was drinking such a little amount of Sprite because it was a five-hour flight, uh, and I was seated by the window in a very cramped and packed row. Uh, she came by a little later, and, and she offered us something to eat with my little Sprite, and, uh, and she gave me what was called, and I read the, the package, and I've written it down for you just so that you kind of get the full effect of it. It's called a Stroop Waffle. Anybody ever had a Stroop Waffle? I'm probably not saying that right. It's probably pronounced in a French way. I don't know, but it's in this little package. It's not as grand as it may seem. The, the description on the package says, a soft, toasted waffle filled with caramel, cinnamon, and real bourbon vanilla. It didn't taste anything like that, I can just tell you. <laughs> it was designed to fit perfectly atop a coffee cup so that you could use the heat from your coffee to warm your Stroopwafel. And with my little Dixie cup of Sprite, it didn't quite have the same effect. Um, it sort of made it soggy and taste lemon-lime when that doesn't go well with caramel. Um, nevertheless, I was on the plane. And I was headed for home. About that time, though, I heard the sound of real dishes and real silverware. They were clinking together and they were beverages as I looked forward and I looked beyond the curtain and the curtain was open and I saw into first class and there were real dishes and real silverware and there were real beverages being consumed in real glasses. And there were warm blankets that were being delivered to patrons sitting in aisles with all the leg room you could ever want. I looked and I saw one man simply bend over and tie his shoes and I just wanted to shoot him. <laughs> but TSA took care of that, so. As I'm looking up there and I'm seeing all this happen in first class and I'm becoming, becoming very envious of them and I'm looking at me and this guy's shifting and banging my knees and I have absolutely nowhere my legs went to sleep a long time ago. Just as I was feeling cheated and sorry for myself and ready to turn to my neighbor, uh, turn my neighbor's chair into a footrest, uh, I looked out the window and I noticed something. I noticed the wing. And I thought to myself, I just looked out the window and I just traced that wing along the edge and I thought, I'm thankful for that wing. My mind went to the other wing and I'm, <laughs> I'm thankful we have two wings, right? And I noticed the engine and I thought, I'm thankful that that engine is running well. And I looked beyond the engine and, and, the, and the wing, and I looked to what looked like ground below. I, it was hard to tell because we were 33,000 feet in the air. And all of a sudden, I was reminded the same thought again. Nevertheless, I'm on the plane. And I'm thankful to be on the plane headed home. Today, as we dive into First Peter, we're going to find out just a little bit about what this status of being elect exiles means. It means that maybe we won't have all the comforts that we would like to have in this world. Maybe things will at times be hard. Maybe it will cost us some discomfort, but nevertheless, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are on the plane. 
and we're thankful to be headed home. Let me read our passage for you this morning. Look with me, if you will, at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This morning, I I want, but with the Lord's help, to just walk through these two verses with you. We'll take bigger clips as we go through this book together, this letter together. But today I only want to look at these two as we introduce this new series. And the question that we have to ask is, if we're looking at his title for his recipients, elect exiles, we have to ask, can we identify with that term? Or are we simply reading someone else's mail without permission? Is there going to be anything in this book that is for us? Can we identify as elect exiles? Exiles. Well, let's take those two terms and and just ask ourselves that question. First of all, can we identify with the status of being elect? Well, let me just give you some some evidence and and some reasoning from Scripture. The the word elect means to be chosen. And and who among us doesn't like that word? That's a great word. How many of you would, would say, man, in, when I was back in, in grade school and we chose teams for dodgeball or whatever the case, I mean, I loved to be chosen, right? I, I loved when I was picked. I didn't like when I wasn't picked. I didn't like when I was the last one to be picked. I liked being chosen. Uh, you know, we, we watch shows, and there's shows like The Bachelor. It's a good thing if you get a rose, right? Or maybe it's a good thing. I, don't, <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. But uh, everyone likes to be chosen or to be selected, I simply wrote down on my paper, jury duty. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe that, maybe not, not so much. But, uh, but I guess it depends on what it is. But the word here means to be chosen. Election in the Bible is to be the recipient of God's undeserved grace and His affection for no other reason other than He decided to bestow it. And He decided to give the election is, is not given to us because we are the strongest or that we have the right skills. We are not chosen by God because of our beauty or our charm. We, we are not chosen by God because we have all the right answers. If, if those were the prerequisites, who among us could call ourselves the children of God? None of us are here. None of us are a part of the church of God because of who we are or what we bring to the table because none of us bring anything to the table when we're talking about God's table. But yet the Bible tells us that God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, right? He works through the the simple so that He alone gets the glory. We see God's sovereign election all throughout the Bible. When, When Saul became Paul, he wasn't looking for God. He wasn't... He wasn't in search of. He wasn't a seeker. He thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was pleasing God by persecuting Christians, by having them dragged off and arrested and, and even, even murdered. But when Saul became Paul, Saul wasn't looking for God. Instead, God came looking for Saul and knocked him off of his horse, blinded him, and brought him to himself. You think back to when we walked through the book of Exodus together. Moses became the deliverer of Israel, kicking and screaming. 
If you think back when, when God was talking to Moses and saying, Moses, I'm going to send you to be the deliverer, to lead my people out of Egypt. Moses goes through excuse after excuse after excuse of why he can't do it. And he wasn't looking for the job. He wasn't looking for the task. God came looking for him. In fact, sovereign election is all throughout Scripture. We too, sitting here today, 2017, in this church service, if you are a Christian, if you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, then we too can identify with what it means to be elect. Ephesians chapter 1 says, Blessed be the the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. We were when when you and I came to faith. We had the privilege this morning of of baptizing these three young ladies, and them coming and standing before you and saying, "I want to follow Christ." The reality is that none of them nor any of us would have had that desire apart from the sovereign, selecting work of our Almighty God. And this is all through Scripture. We were happily running our hellbound race. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9 says, But God, if you back up, it talks about when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Nobody was, nobody was searching for God. And then verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not the result of works that you have, that you have done or I have done. It's, it's the work of God's grace so that no one may boast. Romans 9 talks about the fact that God selects, He chooses. It's all throughout Scripture. And you and I can come to this doctrine of of election, of of predestination, and and we can say, you know, I know there are some verses that seem to hint to this, but you know what? It's confusing and it's hurtful and I I can't fathom a God like that. And we can choose to ignore that or we can press into it and say, God, even in, our, under, in our, uh, ability, our inability to understand this, Lord, help me to understand. And that's what we want to do. We want to come to the Word of God honestly and not, not leave out any parts of the Scriptures and say, God, would you show me, Lord, yourself here? God, would you help me not to stray away from anything here because it offends me? I mean, my goodness, if, if we stayed away from all the parts of the Bible that offended us, Think of all the parts that we would, we would stay away from. So can, can you and I identify as elect? You bet we can. If you think back probably to when you came to Christ, probably you weren't looking for Him either. I mean, I, I go back and my testimony is a lot like the testimony of these girls here today. I was saved at eight years old and didn't really know a whole lot of what I was into. I didn't, didn't have a whole lot of habits I had to kick at eight years old. You know, it wasn't really into a whole lot of bad stuff, but God interrupted my life. 
And God showed me that I indeed was a sinner and that I needed to be saved. I wasn't looking for God. My family made sure that I was in church all the time and I grew up in church, but I wasn't looking per se for God, but God came looking for me. So can we identify as the elect? You bet we can. Can we identify as exiles? Well, I would say yes here as well. The word exiles means to be strangers or pilgrims, to be sojourners on the earth, those who reside as aliens. Someone who's living temporarily in a place that's not their forever home. I felt this way this week in, in, uh, in Los Angeles and at times uh, in, in Hollywood particularly. I'd go out at night to go find some dinner in Hollywood. And uh, we're walking down the street. My wife had uh, earlier in the day, she had done a bus tour and, and seen some of those sites and the homes and that sort of thing. And she was mistaken for a Californian. I'm walking down the street in Hollywood one night, and a guy tries to hand me a DVD, and I refuse to take his comedy DVD, and he said, hey, they don't have these in Minnesota where you're from. She's a Californian, and I'm from Minnesota. I don't, I don't, what, what about this says Minnesota? I don't know, right? But the reality is, as believers, as Christians in this world, we live in a place where it's not our forever home. We live as exiles. This has always been the experience of Christians. Tom Schreiner in his commentary said the church is God's suffering people having no place of rest in the world. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the hall of faith. And in verse 13 of Hebrews 11, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Every person who has ever followed Christ or looked forward to Christ of those in the Old Testament... They have lived as exiles in this world. Tom Schreiner went on and he said, Believers are exiles because they suffer for their faith in a world that finds their faith off-putting and strange. And that's increasingly going to be the case. For every Christian, this world is not our home. We are only passing through. That's more than cliche. It's the reality of our lives. If we follow Christ, the Bible tells us that this world's not our home. In fact, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Another commentator that I read and, and uh, so enjoyed this commentary, uh, she wrote that the term exile was used in the first century to designate someone who did not hold citizenship in the place where he resided and was therefore viewed as a foreigner. So this is what an exile is. Somebody doesn't live there, but the people who do live there, they kind of view that person as a foreigner. And such people that did not, they weren't from there, they didn't enjoy all the rights and privileges of citizenship, they weren't necessarily expected to hold the values and the practice, the customs of their host culture. But they were also treated as very different. Because they didn't hold to the same values and practice the same customs, they were viewed as being very different. Foreigners were, were often looked upon suspiciously as, as potentially sub, subversive to the established social order. And can't we say when we look around and see what's happening in our world today that this is a lot of what's taking place in the way people view Christianity? That because we don't join in, because we don't participate and celebrate and affirm the same things, that we are viewed as those who are outside of what is normal and we are viewed as being 
We're reviewed suspiciously as maybe we're trying to take things down. I think we can expect this ostracism to only increase. Karen Jobes wrote, all Christians are in a real sense foreigners to their place of residence, regardless of where they are living, whenever Christian values and customs conflict with those of the dominant society. So as you and I live in this world, and this is what this series through 1 Peter will be all about, as we live in this world and as we hold to the teachings of Jesus Christ and claim that this is real truth, and we stand on these things, we're going to continually and, and increasingly be viewed as outsiders who are maybe trying to hurt the world as those, those that look at us suspiciously know it. John fifteen nineteen says, Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And so this is what I would say is that you and I can, by every measure, identify with Peter's address here. That as he calls these recipients of the letter elect exiles, you and I can identify with both. That we have both been chosen. We bring nothing to the table. We are here because of God's grace and grace alone. But also because of that, we in this world as we live, we're not where we will be. And we're going to increasingly be viewed as suspect We will be ostracized. We will be mocked and ridiculed for our faith. And maybe your life is not that way. Maybe your life is is okay where it is right now. But it doesn't mean that it will always be that way. There are places in the world right now that for you to take the name of Christ and to follow Him means that you'll be shunned by your family, you'll be disowned, you may even be killed or imprisoned. And maybe that will never happen in America. But maybe it will. The Bible tells us that if we live in the world as followers of Christ, if we were of the world, they would love us as their own. We are not of the world because He has chosen us out of the world and they will hate us just like they hated Him. So, boy, Pastor, I'm looking forward to this series. This is good news. Which brings me to the second question. Can we identify as elect exiles? I think we can Well, then why? Why? I mean, is there some reason? Is there some purpose for our exile status? Is there something, is there some meaning behind or method behind the madness? If the greeting were to end in verse 1, this would be the most awkward and sad game show ever. This would be the equivalent of, of, uh, you know, there in, in, uh, in Burbank at one point. Burbank is where a lot of the uh, game shows and things like that are, are, are hosted. Anybody grow up watching Price is Right? Okay, Price is Right. You know, come on down. You're the next contestant. If, if the greeting ends here, this would sound like, come on down. You're the next contestant in the kingdom of God. Gabriel, tell him what he's won. Gabriel would speak up and he would say, you've just won an all-expense-paid existence in a land not your own where you'll bask in the ridicule of your neighbors and dine in the mockery of society at large. And we would all say, I'm not buying a ticket for that. I don't want to sign up for that. I don't want to be any part of that. But the reality is, Peter doesn't stop at verse 1. In verse 2, he gives three prepositional phrases. 
I don't want to geek out too much on the grammar here, but these prepositional phrases are according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, and then for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Those technically could be two more prepositional phrases there, but uh, we'll just include those together. I think they go together. But it's important if Peter, in writing this, gives us these prepositional phrases, if you know anything about grammar, you need to ask the question, what do they, what do they modify? What do they go back to? What's he talking about? And so these prepositional phrases, according to, in the, for, is he, is he describing himself? Is this how he became an apostle? Well, probably not, because Peter here, his concern is not with himself. He's not having to give his own resume. His concern throughout the letter is them. And their elect exile status. And so we say, well, does, do these prepositional phrases modify the word elect? Well, possibly so. And we see in these the knowledge of the foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit, and the obedience to Jesus Christ. We see in these the, the entire Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so certainly. We, we would say that foreknowledge connects well with the issue of election and that all of God must be included in this work of, of foreknowing and electing. Do these prepositional phrases possibly modify exile? Well, I would say yes. We talk about being exiled in the world, put into a situation, into a land that's not our own, that can't take God by surprise. If, if God knows all and if God is sovereign, if He is supreme and wise and all-loving and all-kind, then it can't take Him by surprise, our exile status. Doesn't Scripture teach that God works His will in our lives through hardship and suffering? Sometimes even especially so. Romans chapter 5, verses 3-5, through five, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So I would submit to you that these three prepositional phrases and hang with me, we're going somewhere. These three prepositional phrases, I believe, modify both elect and exile. That both our being chosen by God and our being placed in a land that is not our own that these three prepositional phrases shed some light on these, both of these things. This means that our salvation is not accidental. Let's, let's look at these. I, I'll walk through these. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, let's take the first one. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The whole of Scripture teaches us that God is not merely looking through time to see who will choose him. This is a misunderstanding of what it means to be foreknown or, or to be elect or predestined. Some would say, well, that's, all that's saying is that God just, he can see all throughout time and he knows who's going to select him. Therefore, he goes ahead and he sees who will choose him and therefore he predestines them. What that does, though, is it takes away the sovereignty of God and it, it puts some of that on demand. It takes away some of the glory from God and it puts some of that glory on man. Instead, what this predestining, this election is, is God not just looking through time and seeing who will indeed choose him, but instead it means that he is actively initiating the choosing. 
That God the Father, the foreknowledge of God the Father, this means that our salvation is not accidental. That your salvation is not by accident. A commentator by the name of Boring, that's his last name is Boring. Doesn't God have a sense of humor? How would you like to be a commentator or a preacher with the name Boring, right? And that's, that would be really tough. That's his last name. But this is what he said. The essential point is that Christians are in the church not merely by their own decision, but by the initiative of God who has called them. What this means is that God's divine initiative was operative in your life and in my life before I was ever aware of it. Before you ever knew that God was up to something in your life. And if you're a believer today, you can look back and say how God was pursuing me. And all those times I went my own way and did my own thing, God continued to pursue me. God continued to hunt me down. He's active. That We're not in the church today. Our, our, our salvation is not by accident. This also means that our exilic status, our being exiled, is not accidental either. According to Acts 17, verse 26, the Bible there says, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and their boundaries of their dwelling places. It means that you and I live when we live and where we live at the sovereign direction of God. That we are here in this moment, that we weren't born in the Middle Ages, that we weren't born in the 1800s. And that's not just by happenstance or by chance, that that's God's his, his sovereign design and direction. That you and I weren't born in some third world country, but instead many of us were born here, somewhere in the context of America. Maybe you were born outside of America and you were born there. and it, You were born wherever you were born at the sovereign direction of God. Karen Jobes again said... Peter reminds his readers that the God who took the initiative in their lives has drawn them into an intimate, loving, and redemptive relationship with Him, but also one in which God claims supreme authority in their lives. Such a reminder is apt at times when Christians are troubled by their circumstances in which they find themselves confused about how to live and tempted to doubt God's goodness or His faithfulness. So here's, what, here's the point of this. is that when Peter writes to the elect exiles of the dispersion. And he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, he's saying to them, look, this is no accident. You're not, I'm not writing to you today because of some decision you made. God saw you and sovereignly chose you, and now he has dispersed you and placed you where you are. God knows. But then he goes on and he says this second prepositional phrase, in the sanctification of the Spirit. And the point here is that we would never come to believe without the gracious work of the Spirit of God. I read to you earlier Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. Let me give you the first part of that in verses 1 through 4. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The Spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But then there are these two little sweet words, but God. The reality is that apart from the 
sovereign work of the Spirit of God to draw us and to woo us to Himself, you and I are not coming to God. That He indeed, the Spirit of God has set us apart. He has awakened us to Himself. If, if Ephesians 2 is right, and that before Christ, without Christ, that we are dead, it means that we don't make a move toward God. I've yet to be at a funeral where I've, I've, I've seen all the, the, the service go by and, and seen everyone come by. And I, don't want, I don't want to be crass or harsh here, but I, I've yet to see everyone come by the casket, finish up with the ceremony, and then turn back to the person lying there and invite them to come back to the fellowship hall for some potato salad. Why? Because that person's dead. And that's the image that God wants us to have. That without the sovereign, electing work of the Spirit of God, you and I are not making a move toward Him. That He must enliven us. He must make us alive in Him. Karen Job said, it is the Spirit who first stirs in the heart a reaching toward God quickens one's understanding of the gospel, convicts of sin, reassures of pardon, and transforms the character by His fruit of virtues. But not only is it our regeneration, our coming to know Him as Lord and Savior, but the Spirit also continues His work of this progressive sanctification. This progressively making us like Christ and setting us apart throughout our lives by placing us into exile. In chapter 1, we'll look at this in, in, a, in a week or two. Verses 14 and 15, Peter is addressing his recipients and he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. What he's pointing to there is if, if they have a former ignorance, he's pointing to the fact if it's former, then it's no longer where you are. And that, that God has, has, has taken us out of a place where we once felt at home, but we don't anymore. God has called us out of that land and given us a new citizenship. And that's why at times we feel like foreigners in the world today. The things that you used to participate in and enjoy suddenly have no appeal to you any longer. Some of you, that's your testimony. You would say, man, I can't believe I wasted so much time and so much energy pursuing the things that I once did. And you think about doing those things now and it just, it just repulses you. And for some of you, that's your testimony. For others of you, your testimony is, God's called me out of a place where I once used to be and I see the error in it and I'm glad, I'm thankful for the repentance He's granted me. But man, the desire at times is still there to go back to that. And maybe, I don't know where you are in that. I don't know what that, that place is. But the reality is, the Spirit of God continues to work in us by putting us into exile. In chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, we'll look at this in, months, in a couple months. For the, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drunken, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join in with them. 
And some of you would say, man, I've got friends today that look at me and they can't believe that I'm a Christian. They can't believe that I go to church. They can't believe that I talk about God. And they, they still do the things that we used to do. They try to get me to join in and, and it makes them mad and upset and they mock me and ridicule me because I don't want to join in with them now. And for some of you, that's your experience. And that's not by accident. Let me say to you, and some of us need to hear this, you're not out there fighting in that place by accident. The Lord has placed you there. The Spirit of God has placed you in exile. In doing so, God is giving us new affections. He's conforming us to the image of His Son. He's teaching us to obey from the heart. That's what exile does for us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. And so many of us can say that as we look back at our lives, our former lives, and we say, He's taken away everything that I used to love. But now the perspective that He's given me by exiling me in this new place, is that I don't miss those things. I count those things as loss, as rubbish, as refuse to be carried away. And then the, the third prepositional phrase, and I'll give you just some application quickly. The third prepositional phrase says, for obedience to Jesus Christ, both our election and our exile have this, this purpose of accomplishing for us the obedience of Jesus Christ. God doesn't call us to merely a spiritual experience divorced from any kind of real practical following. He calls us to have an active, obedient, following faith. And for so many, this is where things seem to be awry. This is why so many people can hide out in the church and think that because they at one point made a decision or at one point walked an aisle or at one point filled out a card or at one point prayed a prayer or at one point got wet up there. But then live as if nothing has to change. That's why people can hide out. But the reality is the Bible says to us that God doesn't call us to that type of existence, but instead if we follow Him, it should show up in our lives. James chapter 1 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, if, if this teaching that God calls us to actively obey Him, some would say, wait a minute, Pastor, I thought obeyed, obedience was gone. I didn't think we had to do any of that. I thought Jesus did all that and it's all finished and, and we can just rest in Him and now I can live however I want to live. If that's your attitude then I would tell you you have a wrong attitude and you're confused about your salvation. But if that's not your attitude and you still have this, this nagging, I, I struggle with sin, then this is discouraging. This would be so discouraging to those living amidst a people that despise them for their faith if it weren't for what could be identified as this fourth prepositional phrase, the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. I mean, at times the culture gets so bad that it, it would be easier to walk away. Or, or maybe to believe in private. 
and to keep your faith to yourself and not have to, not have to be active or open about it. But that's not what we're called to. And what Peter is doing here is Peter is offering up a supreme encouragement by showing them how this can be accomplished. He's he's giving this, this supreme encouragement by showing them how our election was made sure by the obedience of Jesus. And there is this reality that Romans 5, 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That required obedience on his part. That he actively engaged in following God's will. That Jesus put on flesh the one who was adored by angels throughout all of eternity, that needed nothing, that was in complete fellowship, perfect fellowship with God the Father and God the Spirit, and was not lacking anything, that he put on flesh. And he came to this earth, and he lived, and he died for you and I. That required obedience on his part. And everything he did has accomplished what is required of us. And this is why the imputed righteousness of Jesus is so important to us. That God doesn't just take our sin away, that God gives us the obedience of Jesus Christ. But not only that, but Peter is also showing them not only how their their election was made sure by the, the obedience of Jesus, but he shows them how our exile solidifies our obedience to Jesus. That it's when we are out in exile that God says, necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What this means is that you and I, when we're placed out in exile, it's there that our faith is indeed tested. When the group comes around and says, I can't believe you're not going to join in with us. What are you doing? I can't believe you believe that. Are you serious? It's in that moment that we have to decide whether we will believe God and follow Him or we won't. One of the strangest things that I saw in California while I was there, and I saw some strange things in California. Um, Hollywood at night truly turns into Hollyweird at night, right? But you want to know one of the strangest things I saw? In the middle of L.A. at lunchtime, in a food court, tables all around, people on their lunch break, two men sitting at a table praying over their meal. One of the strangest things I saw in L.A. Because you just don't see it. It's there where you're exiled. And I'm not saying L.A. is, is, is exile. There's as much sin and, and wickedness and depravity in, in Greer, South Carolina as there is in, in Los Angeles, California. But it's, it's here in this world that does not agree with us, does not like what we stand for, where we will be tested and we will say, will we practice what we preach? Will we follow? Will we obey? It is here that it is tested and tried. Romans 5, I read it to you earlier. Our suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Our character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. But it's in the fire where it is produced. So here's the takeaway. 
I've given you a lot, and, and, and the reality is I've had two weeks to look at this, and I've chewed over this passage, over these two verses, for, for two weeks straight, and I've probably given you way more than you can handle. So if you haven't heard anything else, hear this summation and this takeaway. Peter's writing to those who are elect by God, chosen by God, given the grace of God in Jesus Christ, who are now living in a world that does not like them, is dead to God, and, and will, will ridicule and mock them. They're living as exiles. But they're not there by accident. They're there at the foreknowledge of God. They're there for the sanctification of the Spirit to produce the obedience of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's the summation. You said, why didn't you just give us that, right? Well, here's the takeaway for us. If you're a believer here today, I implore you, rather than getting angry or upset at this doctrine of election, would you just take joy in God's intentionality towards you? Would you just think about what it is that you have been elected? That if you're here today and you are a child of God, that God looked at you and said, regardless of what you've done, while you were a sinner, I died for you. When you realize that God owed you nothing, but yet He saved you in spite of yourself, when you were dead and not making a move toward Him, when you were running your hellbound race and you were content to do so, and God intervened in your life, the only reasonable response that you can possibly have, that I can possibly have, is worship. He chose me. I would never have chosen Him. In the same way that I will never expect my dog to climb a tree. In the same way that I will never expect my dog to, to sprout wings and fly. I would never have chosen God and God chose me and I worship Him and I press into that and I take joy in that. Take joy in God's intentionality toward you in your exile. It's your exile, even where you are right now. And I, for some of you, it's harder than, than others. But your exile is not accidental either. That God is intentionally placing you, has placed you where you are for a purpose. It is not that He is being trite or, or that He is simply playing with you in a sadistic way. Your exile is not accidental. I would implore you to lean into it with eager anticipation of what it will produce. The second takeaway for you that I, I would just point you to today is this. Not only take joy in God's intentionality towards you, but number two, don't retreat from the world, but serve it. Don't retreat from the world, but serve it for the purpose of helping many to find their joy in the one true God in the same way that you have. It's, it's not by accident that we are elect exiles. If we are elect exiles, then how should we live? As the world will increasingly persecute us, how should we live in the midst of that? Should we retreat from that and just go into hiding? There have been others throughout history that have tried to do that. Different sects and, and groups have, have tried to do that. And that's not the answer. Jesus prayed in that high priestly prayer that He would not take us out of the world. That we would not be of the world, but we would be in it. Right? And, and so I would implore you to live as elect exiles on purpose. Respecting your host nation. I mean, look at your neighbors, look at your government. I mean, look, look at your city and say, God's placed me here and I want to love them well. 
When they revile me, Jesus said to pray for my enemies and and to love my enemies, to go the extra mile for my enemies, to respect our host nation, to participate in the culture uh, up to the point where you can. You look around and you you see things around and some things you say, I just can't affirm that. Because the Bible tells me that's sin and and, and it's wrong. It's, it's, It's committed against the Holy God and I can't affirm that. But you know what? There are some things that we can look at and we can say, that's good. There are organizations around us and there are different, different, um, different services around us and different art and different things like that that we can look at and we can say, you know what? It's the image of God that's peeking through at this point. It may be broken and it may not have any connection with the gospel at this point, but I'm going to affirm the fact that you are created in the image of God. There are some things that we will not be able to, to just absolutely just you know, affirm and, and take part in. Um, one of the things about California is just get ready as you're walking in the sidewalks. You're going to walk through uh, clouds of marijuana smoke and you're going to smell it, right? Uh, I walked around and I've, I've never smoked marijuana in my life. But I guess I did this week. I don't know. <laughs> right? There's certain things that we're not going to be able to affirm and join in and participate with. But so many times we have gotten the rap of being against everything and for nothing. And that's not the picture of our God. God created the world and He did so in those six days laid out for us in Genesis. He got to the end and He said, it's good. It's good. Now sin is what has broken it and and made it fall from that. And sin has introduced death and disease and suffering and all those things. But we ought to look around at our neighbors who don't know Christ and live in such a way that they might want to. We live in such a way that we, we celebrate what we can celebrate, we stand apart from what we can't, and we seek to give glory in all things. And here's just the last thing I would say to you. As I'm flying back yesterday, and I'm thinking about this passage, and I'm just thinking about elect exiles. We're elect exiles. That oxymoronic title that's given to us, that we're elect and we're exiled here. I thought, why do we need both? Well, the reality is, I was just thinking through this on the plane, to be exiled without being elect is to feel as though God is merely indifferent towards you. Or maybe even worse, that you're being played with seditiously. If, if we don't have the, the confident assurance that God is for us, that He has chosen us, that it doesn't depend on us, and we find ourselves exiled, we will think, God doesn't care. But to be elect without being exiled is to feel entitled Like God owes you something or is in your debt. But to have both gives this balance that we need. The one leads us to worship and the other leads us to depend. And that's what I'm praying that God would accomplish throughout this series as we walk through 1 Peter together. That God would teach us who we are. He's a good, good Father. And we're loved by Him. It's who we are, right? I'm hoping that that comes just washing down on us as a faith family. But I'm also hoping that through this, that He will teach us that in the midst of this, it doesn't mean He owes us anything. That He's placed us where He's placed us so that we might live for Him and that we would learn to depend on Him as we seek to follow Him. Amen? Let's pray for that. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.